Thanks for tuning in to Lee's Bird Daily, a Monday through Friday podcast where we dive into scripture, study it together, and apply it to our lives. Today we pick up in John chapter 8, um, and we do that after taking a few days talking about the uh, how the New Testament specifically came to be. Uh, we took a couple days and, and, and talked about the origin of scripture and how we have it and, and the way we have it today. Uh, because what we see when we look at this, the fine print in most of our Bibles, uh, we will see that John chapter 7 verse 53 through uh, John 8 verse 11 um, are not in the most, uh, the earliest Greek manuscripts. Uh, they are, without a doubt, it's not really disputed among scholars that they are added thereafter. They're not written by John. Uh, and, and so uh, we talked a few days about the New Testament and how it came to be and and um, how it should be uh, seen. This story, specifically of the adulterous woman, is a beloved story uh, because of what it shows us about um, about God and about Jesus' mercy and Jesus is the acting agent of God's mercy. Um, and so what we'll do today is we will uh, kind of walk through this passage and talk through. There are essentially four different uh, stages to this scene with the adulterous woman. And the, the, the story unfolds uh, with the first stage, starting in verse uh, 53 of chapter 7. And everyone went to his home. Uh, but Jesus, verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all of the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. And so here in John chapter 7, verse 51, everyone, or 53, everyone goes home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and then early the next morning. So this next morning would have been the eighth day of the festival. And this eighth day of the festival would have been a, a time of, of, uh, of rest. It would be a, a day of, of, of rest. Um, it would be it would have been an added eighth day and, and we see that from the Leviticus chapter 23 um, where they're told to add um, a day of rest in the end of, of, of the temple. So that's going to be important later on in the story. This is a day of rest uh, but Jesus is there in the temple teaching. The second stage of the story begins really in verse 3. Uh, in verse two, in, in verse two, all the people came to Jesus, and he began to teach them. Verse three, and the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having her sat in the center of the court. Uh, so here's the setting: everyone had gone home the night before. Uh, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. The next morning, he comes in uh, to the temple to begin to teach, and the scribes and the Pharisees bring in a woman caught in adultery. Now this is quite the uh, scandalous picture here. Uh, this passage um, uh, shows us that you know this this woman is treated in a really a, a horrible way, a, a callous way, a demeaning way. If she had committed committed adultery uh, the previous evening, which seems more likely than around dawn, uh, she would have probably been caught the, the night before. And I guess that's John making an assumption. Um, but I think it's a valid assumption. She would have been caught the night before, sometime in the night, um, uh, instead of around dawn. Um, 
then we can assume that these opponents had been holding her uh, during the night and waiting for Jesus in order to, to test him, to, uh, to use her to test him. Her fear, without a doubt, would have been great. And putting in the, in the midst of the crowd there in verse, uh, verse 3 uh, would have called an added public humiliation. You know, there's a certain attitude of male chauvinism that comes across in their statement about the law of Moses condemning such a woman. They said in verse 4, they said, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? I mean, these, this is pretty gruesome situation. Um, of course, there's all kinds of... Uh, uh, inferences you could make about this passage. Uh, they caught her in the act of adultery. So the question that might be asked is, well, where's the man? Uh, since it does take two to tango. Uh, where's the man? Because according to the law of Moses, uh, he would have been also guilty and should have been stoned. Uh, but instead, it's just her uh, here uh, being condemned and humiliated. Where's the man? Uh, it leads you to wonder, well, is this a a setup job is this an inside job to 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 trap uh, not only uh, a woman as a, to use her as a pawn to trap Jesus because we know they've been after him and maybe they're just looking for a reason to to capture Jesus to to arrest Jesus. What we see here with the with these Jewish leaders is a a zeal for external righteousness, uh, but a righteousness that shows no concern. For the soul of this woman, uh, she's being used as a pawn, and, and they're being rather deceitful. Um, there's no evidence in the first century that this law was carried out with any sort of reg regular regularity, um, because of the the Roman Empire, because of uh, the, the the political setting at the time. This was probably not acted. There's no evidence that this would have been. Uh, used on a regular basis and so they're really just cherry-picking it's kind of like the law um, you know like silly laws across the, the country where you can't chew bubblegum on Main Street it's like one of those types of laws at this point and so this situation is really apparently just an attempt to entrap Jesus uh, look at verse 6 uh, so they were saying this testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground it's probably just an, an attempt to entrap Jesus uh, if he is lax toward the law then he would have been condemned but if he holds a strict line then uh, he has allowed them to to uh, to win in their ungodly treatment of this woman and has opened himself up for trouble with the Roman authorities because he, he would ultimately be held responsible for the stoning that, that, that follows. You know, the leaders of Israel are putting Jesus to the test, uh, and ultimately God to the test in the person of his, uh, of his son. Um, so, so look at the, the third stage. The third stage, uh, verses 6 through 9, uh, are very memorable. Let's read those together. Uh, verse 6. Uh, they were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, 
let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone with the woman where she was in the center of the court. This is a pretty uh, impressive uh, 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 task that's happening here. Uh, while remaining seated, see, seated, he bends over with his finger and writes on the ground. Now, this is kind of a neat thing that I found in my study. The act of writing on the ground itself is, is very significant. Um, uh, it's been pointed out that according to the Jewish law, it was, it was unlawful to write uh, even even two letters on the Sabbath. You couldn't write. But writing in dust was permissible, which is kind of interesting. You know, the, the Jews, they made all these laws around the law in order to keep from breaking the law. And that was one of them. You can't write on the Sabbath because that might constitute working. But if you write in dust, uh, that was permissible, which is kind of interesting to think about. If this were the eighth day of the feast which was to be kept as a day of rest, Jesus was writing on the ground, would show that he knows very well the law. Uh, he also knows the, the oral interpretations of the law. Um, and, and so he's kind of showing in his writing on the ground that he, to, to these people who are claiming to be followers of Moses' law, uh, that he knows very well the law, and not just the law, but the oral uh, interpretations surrounding the law to keep from breaking the law. Uh, also, his writing echoes Old, Old Testament passages um, that, that would have that, that would then turn his writing into symbolic actions. Um, consider for just a second Jeremiah's words in Jeremiah chapter seventeen: "O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust, because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water." Here, the, the idea of being written in the dust probably means the opposite of being written in the book of life. Um, those who have turned away are, are consigned to death uh, because they've rejected the one who's, as Jesus has already made clear, he is the source of, of the water that leads to everlasting life. And so it appears Jesus is associating his opponents uh, with those who God condemns for forsaking him. That's a that's one interpretation of what Jesus could be doing here. Jesus is writing the ground, and many have speculated what he's writing about. Maybe he's writing Jeremiah. Uh, maybe he's writing the sins. Uh, it's been it's been speculated the sins of those in the crowd, you know, writing out the, you know the names of sins. It's a greed or lust. Uh, maybe he's writing the names of the people that are in the crowd. There, we, we don't know what Jesus writes. But we know that as he writes, something clicks and those, uh, they, they start to press him and Jesus says simply, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to cast the stone at her. Now that's a pretty genius move. He's saying, you be responsible. If there's someone among you that has no sin, you be the one who starts the stoning. And again, he stooped down and started to write in the ground. Uh, that's a pretty pretty um, impressive thing because it takes him out of the hot seat. And as Augustine says, uh, as as time passes, eventually there were two left alone, a wretched woman 
and mercy. I think that's really cool how, how Augustine um, defines Jesus or calls Jesus mercy. There were two people left alone, a wretched woman and mercy. And that's really a great name for Jesus here in this story. Um, they're left alone. Jesus looks up at the woman in verse 10. He says, uh, uh, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. Again, we have an echo of really a, a picture of, of John's word about Jesus in John chapter 3. Um, uh, John chapter 3, verse 17. Uh, God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him in John chapter 3, verse 17. Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. No one else condemns you. I don't condemn you either. Uh, but, but look what he says. He says, from now on, go and sin no more. I, I, I love this picture of Jesus as mercy. But it does point out a pastoral issue that we have today. Um, again, Augustine, or Augustine, I guess, depending on who you are and how pompous you are, I guess. Uh, Augustine or Augustine uh, says that we are all in danger of both hope and despair. Uh, th that is, we can have a false optimism that says uh, God is merciful so I can do what I please, or a despair that says there's no forgiveness for the sin I've committed. Uh, often we can be stuck in one of those places. Um, and, and to each extreme, we could be wrong. This story shows us the need to keep both of those inclinations in, in balance. Uh, there's no sin that God does not forgive. Uh, Christ's death atoned for all sin. The only sin that remains unforgiven is the unrepentant sin. But on the other hand, God's call to us uh, to intimacy with himself. Um, sin cannot be a continuing part of our life. The danger for many of us is that we've become too comfortable with sin. Uh, Jesus calls us to, 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 to go and sin no more just as a woman. And that doesn't mean be comfortable with our sin. Sin cannot be a part of our relationship and with, with the Lord any more than, than darkness can be a part of light. Christ's atonement cleanses us from sin uh, as we repent day by day and his spirit is working with us to within us to transform us so that the end we will come out pure though not in this life uh, but sin must be cut off we 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 must take sin seriously and Jesus himself tells us to fear God and to fear his judgment and so in this story we have two extremes we could walk away with we could walk away and say well God is merciful um uh, therefore, I can do what I please. Or uh, we can live with uh, morbid, introspective guilt over the sins that we've committed. Instead, Jesus says to the woman, I, I, I don't condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. And so the challenge as we wrap up today, there's so much more we can discuss about this passage, but as we wrap up today, um, uh, we should be challenged. Are we comfortable with our sin? Or are, do we wholly reject sinfulness in our lives? 
you know, often we say, well, well, of course, I'm, nobody's perfect. Of course, I'm a sinner and I'm going to sin. And we make excuses for our sin. Jesus doesn't excuse us in fullness. He says, go and sin no more. Now, that doesn't mean I'll never sin, but it does mean I should not live in a pattern of sinfulness. As I follow Jesus, for you and I today, the Holy Spirit lives within us, and as we follow Jesus, our sinfulness should change. Our sinful inclinations should change if we lean into the relationship that God calls us to have with Him. And, you know, it, it's interesting that Jesus does not say explicitly that He forgives the woman, but that's the implication that He doesn't condemn her. Uh, he's, in, in doing so, Jesus reveals something about Himself. He's bypassing the temple. He's bypassing um, uh, the law. And he is acting as God's agent of mercy and mediating forgiveness. And that's possible for us today. But we must take our sin seriously as this woman finds herself forced to take her sin seriously. Well, that's it for today. I I, I pray that this is an encouraging, fun uh, a podcast for you to listen to. If you have any questions, comments, feel free to leave a voicemail message uh, for this podcast. And we'll continue tomorrow picking up in verse 12 of John chapter 8. God bless. Take care. Thanks so much for listening.